0: Today begins a brand new series, so if you're first time here, you get in on the ground floor today. Uh, I met with Robin at the end of last year, and we were discussing where we felt we were to go this year. And we launched out with that we wanted to talk about family, and so we were going to do that in January. And I felt that before we talked about family, we needed to talk about what it meant to follow Jesus. And we grabbed us a scripture out of the book of Matthew. And we've been talking for about nine weeks just on what it means to be a Christian to follow Jesus. And uh, we're segueing now into a series that my heart is that over the next several months or however long this plays out, that Robin and I will be able to download to you The things that we've learned 33 years together If you'll stick in there and come and make an effort to come, there's no charge for it, of course, but we're going to give you the best we've learned together as a husband and wife, what we've learned at raising children, what we're learning as grandparents, how we learn to fight together, to stand together, to believe together, to pray together. We're going to be sharing all that with you. Also, before we jump in the QR code, which is the green card in your seat or next to you, if you'll click that and you'll go to the QR code, there is a link. On there, that'll allow you to ask questions. And what we're asking is if you have a specific question, that you would submit that, and then she and I will look those over. And somewhere in this series, we will do our best to try to discuss that or to talk about it and make it as relevant as we can to everybody in the room. And my heart is this, don't let the title swamp you. Don't think, well, I'm not a family yet. I'm a single person yet, or I don't want a family because I believe what we're going to share is going to be apropos to all of us that we can grow from it. And my heart today is that you'll be challenged from it. Let me show you where we're starting and how we're going to get there. The gospel of Matthew chapter four states this, this is what we've held on to for eight weeks or so. We're back at it. Jesus called out to them and said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to, and then I highlighted it in the blue, how to fish for people. And this is my thinking is, is, is it when you're going to catch something, if I can get it to work, let's see if it's going to play games with me or not. There we go. It's a guarantee that you will spend your energy and your earthly endeavors catching something, whether you like it or not. You're a human, and as you go through life and your journey, you're going to catch something. And it might be as easy as a cold or a disease, and it might be some mean people along the way, some enemies along the way, some friends along the way, scars along the way, stories along the way. But as we journey through life, know this, that every one of us in this room bring to the journey of life, something that has influenced us and something that has impacted us either for the positive or the negative, whatever it would may be, it, it, we become a product of the system that we call earth, our upbringing, our parents, the way we were raised, uh, the, uh, the journey that we've had and the experiences we have all brings us to this thing. And so this is what I find to be true is I find to be true is how in God's name can we even define family? I guess in the 1970s it would have been easy, but in 2023 it's been a challenge because I told Robin it's very difficult to know how to talk about family today because it's such a diverse way that we define it. I made a joke that it would be easier to teach the book of Revelation than to teach about family (laughs) because we all bring to the table the good, the bad, and the ugly. And to think that a preacher could have a sermon that could change it all is, it kind of makes me a little skeptical because your life won't be changed with just a mic drop moment or a tweet or a book. We all come to this thing called family and it's with you your whole life. It never leaves you. It can haunt you, it can bless you, it can inspire you, or it can cause you to tuck tail and run. And it gets ugly because everybody that's family comes to church and then we say, hey, we're all family and that's even worse. Because we all bring our experiences to the table. We bring our hurts, our past hurts, our past preachers, our past churches, our past exes and lovers and everything else, and we lump you up in a room on a Sunday and shake it up and go, let's all sing. <laughs> and it's difficult, it really is. I mean, I've, I've played around with it over three months knowing I would ultimately launch into this series, but how do we define it? How do we get it done? What is family? So my goal today is to try to define for you A landing place that we just say this is what we mean here when we say family because Robin and I can come up and discuss things and teach every week and at the end of the day if we're all coming at it with our different definitions how many of you know if you define it differently you hear it differently yeah Yeah, you, you can hear the same thing but perception can cause you to hear something totally different than what was said because of the way we perceived it So the challenge in the room is to take about 200 people this morning and to try to get us all on the same page when we've all come from a different place. And I'm going to attempt to do that, I hope I do it well. It is to build a foundation of where Robin and I are gonna take you, the launching pad that we're gonna start from today. My prayer is to challenge you, my prayer is to make you think My prayer is to make you look back over your life, stop, look at the moment, turn and look at your future. Because what we have in America right now and what we have in churches right now is a crisis for this word. We have a crisis for families. Statistical research states that 68% of all first time marriages will end in divorce. Come on young people that aren't married. That means you got about a 30% chance to make it. 30% chance that if you say I do to somebody, you have a 30% chance of making it. Not being successful, just not divorcing. Divorce is rampant today. It's rampant in the church. It's rampant everywhere. Uh, Lust, addictions, rampant. I, I do know this, without picking on anybody because we're all in the journey, right? We all try to do our best at times. And I know Robin and I've had deep discussions on our date nights about parenting because we've asked, did we do it? Well, we hope we did. We look at some things and go, man, we failed here and here. And so I, I do want you to know that she and I don't think we're perfect by any means, but I do believe we have fought well enough together for 33 years that what we'll say will be meaningful. And again, I don't want you to think that because we're teaching it that we're all perfect on it. But I will say, she and I did not get where we got today haphazardly by luck. We got where we are in life today because we started a journey with a plan. And there have been times that uh, we've been angry with each other. Times I've slept on the couch. I don't know why she doesn't do that, but but I <laughs> it just dawned on me. Wait a minute. <laughs> She should be on the couch. <laughs> there have been times we probably looked at each other and thought, what in the world did we do getting married? But we fought it out. And I don't mean fist fight it. I mean, we knew what we wanted. We knew what we wanted to see in each other. We knew what we believed about each other. And so we got in this thing called marriage and we've been in it 33 years. We bear the scars of it. We, we bear the fun. We bear the pictures and the memories. But the shepherds that are leading this house got where we got, not because we woke up and thought we would get lucky. We got where we got because we woke up. If we needed to cry, we cried. If we needed to fight it out, we fought. But we came to the, we came to the moment of marriage with one thought, and it was, no matter what goes down, we will never divorce. Now, I know that people do, so I'm not putting you down if you've been it. because all of us, like I said, are on a journey of life. I'll explain that a little more. But for she and I, we started out that it doesn't matter how bad it gets, we're going to hang in this thing together, we're going to fight it out because we want to grow old, we want to be sitting there old, and we're going to be watching our children's children's children grow old, and we want to be sitting by each other with stories to tell. And there have been times we've wondered, maybe will we make it? There have been times we've thought, are we going, but we kept pressing on. We kept fighting for it. We kept reaching for it. And I'll tell you this, there's nothing about it that's really romantic at times. Young people. I love romance romance is wonderful the hugs the kisses the cuddles the coffees the movies the dates They're all wonderful, but I will tell you it will not get you to the end Because if you do not have a little hood spa to hold on and commit to this thing and fight for this thing Your feelings will take over and you'll start going. I just want to be happy and I'm like no, you don't want to be happy grow up (laughs) You don't get to the end of the journey. Just being happy. Sometimes I'm happy. Sometimes I'm real happy. Sometimes I'm crappy. It just, I got to work it out. I got to keep fighting together. We got to keep going. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the kisses are a little boring and sometimes they're like, wow, let's have another kid. My dad gave me advice long ago. He said, son, the best advice I can give you is a, is a dad. He said, sometimes marriage is like steak and potatoes, and sometimes it's broccoli. But both of them are good for you, right? <laughs> now, I was too young to believe him. I'm like, that's dumb. I know what that means now, because I know what steak and tater love is like. <laughs> and I've had broccoli love. Both are good, but I like steak and tater better. Ha, ha, ha. So when you sit down and you say how to define it, well, in this room, I wrote down all the things that I thought would work well to define it. And I put together a collage of pictures of my family. These are are great-great-grandparents, great-grandparents, grandparents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, and uncles to, to try to define what family is. And we start with the most simplistic. It's a male and a female. And just that... It's messy. Anybody in the room want to know male and female are different? And the funny thing today is we live in a generation where males want to be females. I can't figure that out. I live with five of them. I'm like, never. I can understand a woman wanting to become a man. I'm good with that. I understand that's a simpler life. You don't worry about much. You don't have to iron your clothes. You wear the same underwear for weeks. You just so in this world where people transgender, I'm like I can get a woman wanting to be a man. It's just like I don't have to shave. I don't have to use deodorant. I don't even have. I just but but a man going to a woman. What in God's name are you thinking? My Lord, the complications of a woman's mind. If I was going to teach on men, I could do it in 12 minutes. We like meatloaf, sex, and a good hobby. I finished my sermon right there. And I guarantee, now he may be scared to tell you, but the honest is, this good meatloaf, something good to eat, some good sex, and just let me go fish or something. And he'll be just as happy. That will be the best man you've ever met in your life. He will come home early. He will be ready to see you. Female, it'll take us to October 2028. Just... Oh Lord, females, because they're all different. Men are all the same. Just, there's about two categories of us. Women, it's just pages of Google. Just how do you? Because fi- I live with them. How do you figure them out? What does crying mean as a man? Click. It means he's sad. He's hurt. What does crying mean as a woman? First off, she's hurt. She's mad. You didn't listen to her. You you ignored. It. It's like oh my God, just a list. So if, if we just stop here, family is complicated. And I'll show you how stupid we were, because I want to just be transparent. When I met her, and I asked her to marry me, and she said, yes, and I said, thank you. And we went to counseling, premarital counseling. That's where they tell you, if you'll go, you'll have a better marriage. And so we thought, let's do it. And so we go to premarital counseling and we sit down and the little counselor's got all the little PhDs, HDDs behind their name and we don't care, we're in love. We don't even think we need counseling because we're in love. And sitting there with the counselor, we said this, please forgive me, but I said it and she agreed. We said, we're never going to (laughs) argue. We love each other too much. Did you not say that? <laughs> She's looking at this little handsome body. I'm looking at her. And, the, and the, the little lady that's counseling us, we just looked at each other and with goo-goo eyes, we were like, we're never going to argue. We just love each other. I wish that lady would have slapped me. She just sat there looking at me, never said a word, but I know what she was thinking. They're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) How naive, but you see what love will do. Love will make you think that our giddiness will keep us in the game. Giddy giddy won't keep you in the game (laughs) because we've had to argue it out and fight it out together to get where we wanted. But not only that, the male and the female turn into a husband and a wife. And by that, I mean, I I now have to love her, but I'm a product of my mother. She's a product of her mother. I'm a product of how I was raised. She's a product of how she was raised. There's expectations placed on men in culture. There's expectations placed on wives. Not only does culture place the expectation, religion places the expectation on what a man should be, what a woman should be. Culture tells men what they should be and what women should be. Your friends think what a man should be, what a woman should be. Your parents think what that should be. Your friends think what that should be. And you jump into it and there's book after book after book you can read on what a husband should do and what a wife should do. So we're only too deep and it's already so complicated, it can make your head hurt. There's books upon books upon books of how a husband should love a wife. You could fill this entire building up with resources and videos and books just on these four things, teaching men how to know women and husbands, how to love wives, and we could spend eternity trying to figure it out. It gets a little better because not only do we have to deal with husbands and wives, we have to deal with a husband and wife, then we add kids. And as soon as you add kids in, just kiss romance goodbye. (laughs) Romance will come back about 30 years later, but not right now. She's always tired. The house is dirty. Somebody's always arguing. Somebody's got to be somewhere. And then I never knew that I would go back to school five times over. I would have to repeat fifth grade over and over (laughs) and over my God I'd just rather have stupid kids I don't want to do homework again then you have a second, a third, and a fourth kid and then my, my luck was all four of my children were females I didn't get this I didn't get that. I got this. I got females. I got a man sitting around going, what are y'all mad about today? What are y'all crying about? <laughs> Everybody's crying. What's going on? It <laughs> is don't feel like you listen to us. What do you mean? Listen to you. I'm listening to you right now. <laughs> trying to figure it all out. And then the kid gets upset. So they tell mom, then mom comes and tells me what I did wrong. And then I have to say, well, they need to grow up. Well, you shouldn't talk to them that way. And then the whole thing is just a bomb in the air. (laughs) Texting me. She's upset. Don't say anything. She's an adult. Like what? (laughs) So we're only three deep and you can see how complicated it can be. Because (laughs) I'm going to invite all over to our house someday and just watch. <laughs> like, you can, you can get, this is okay. You can, you can still be spiritual here. And, and this is wonderful because you're still giddy. You add this in, you're probably going to start drinking. <laughs> espousing drinking, I'm not saying it's great, but you you will think about liquor or weed. I'm not, I'm not saying you'll do it, but you'll think about it. You'll think, no wonder <laughs> this right here. <laughs> that right there. And if you hadn't had a kid yet, everybody that has a kid, just say amen. Hey. Yes. <laughs> everybody that's doing liquor and weed, say Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) oh it gets worse kids kick in you become a divorced person you carry baggage around trying to figure out who gets the kids where they go then not only that do you have divorced kids you come and you get widowed with kids she had to bury her husband she was left with no money She's trying to figure out how to keep the house, how to put groceries on the table, how to keep the kids in school, feeling so alone. All of these I've pastored through the years. Then there's the remarried with the ex that also has the kids and the stepkids. Who gets the kids, what weekend, which weekend, where do we go, what do we do for birthdays? Exes show up, they come by your office, they put a pistol on your your desk and they say, pastor, you have five minutes to talk me out of killing this person. Literally, you have five minutes and put it, put a loaded 45 on my desk and said, you have five minutes to talk me out of killing this person. So let's not pretend that family is altogether always romantic. Because in all of these things, it brings the challenge of what life is. Then you throw in parents and grandparents, those that are still alive. Parents get involved, parents manipulate their kids, maybe grandparents, and that becomes a problem. Then in laws. Mm, Mine is on the second row, but I love you. (laughs) My in laws on the second row, I ain't saying a thing. She's good to me. She loves me. She's a great in-law. Then after that, single people, those are the people that watch all us fall apart and go, no, nope, not doing it. Ain't, ain't no way. And then we've got singled that are divorced. They did it, they tried it, never again, I'm done. I'm just gonna live alone. I'm good with that. And then we got same sex couples. Uh, this was the counseling where the man left the wife for another man and ran off with another man, married another man and left his wife and kids alone. And she was distraught and hurt. And so you show up trying to help the kids figure out why daddy ran off with another man. Why didn't he love my mama? so it gets a little ugly. Then you got live-ins. Those are the people that don't ever wanna put a ring on it. They just wanna get it for free. Share the bills together, not much commitment. I will say this, as long as you let him get it for free, he'll probably not marry you very quickly. If you shut him off and say, no, if you, if you want to have sex with me, marry me. And then that ends up with the lowest of what we would say, I think would be true, is the shack-ups. That's just where we're so messed up that we just, our sexual life is wrong, we're broken, we're hurt. We don't want to commit to anything. We're just trying to find pleasure in life. And and so you stand up as a shepherd and you say, let's talk about family. And that's what I meant in a joking way that it, it would almost be impossible to find one sermon to fit this because it's such a broken world. And as a shepherd, I don't point fingers at anybody that's in this because we're all on a journey together. We're all trying to figure it out. But it gets more interesting because here's what we find out. Not only do we have to deal with male and female, we have to start dealing with all the personalities that come with it. We have to deal with Enneagrams one through nine, earth, wind, fire, and water. We have to deal with Meyer Briggs, over 16 personalities, and then choleric, melancholy, sanguine, and phlegmatic. And if you won't think that's a challenge, people go to school and get PhDs to understand this. And if you ever want to watch it, let an Enneagram one marry a two. Glory to God. She was a one, I was a two. That's close enough, we should get along. Night and day different in our personality. Take the Myers-Briggs, night and day different. But we're proof that if you come together with a plan, you can have two distinct personalities and we don't crush each other, we make each other better. We make each other better. So how do you craft a sermon, a series to fit all of these personalities when there's college degrees and doctoral degrees still trying to figure it out? And then it goes here. Here's all the ways it plays out when you have personalities, a powder, a controller, a narcissist, a complainer, abuser, manipulator, cheater, liar, screamer, slammer, puncher, whiner, drinker, and druggie. And if you watch Lifetime movies, a killer. (laughs) Just watch Lifetime movies. Who married the Boston Strangler? You didn't know he's murdering people? What? If you ever want your mind blown, don't do it now because nobody will pay attention. Do it at lunch. Google how many serial killers had wives. It'll blow your mind. And so we have to craft sermons but, but the way our negative side plays out, it's hard to preach to a narcissist that's a drinker, married to a woman that's a whiner, married to a guy that's a puncher, married to a woman that's a screamer, married to a dude that's a powder, married to parents that are controllers, married to brothers that are manipulators, married to a man that's an abuser. And we go, hey, listen to this sermon, it'll make you feel better. It doesn't work. And this is just a short list of the issues. So it brings me to that. Is there any hope at all for us? I can promise you this, a book's not going to fix you. Another preacher laying hands on your head, not going to do it for you. And another marriage conference is not going to do it. Those will be minimal at best B12 shots to keep you going. But here's my thing. I wouldn't be standing up here if I didn't believe there was hope. None of that scares me. Because I know what God can do. So here's our thought today. We must change the way we think about family to define family. Here's my scripture I came to. Isaiah. Chapter 39 and Isaiah said to Hezekiah listen to the message from the Lord of heaven's armies. There's a time coming Now this is a prophet Isaiah speaking to a king He was already in a castle. He already had it going on. Everything's good for him There's a time coming when everything in your palace and all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now Will be carried off to Babylon Nothing will be left says the Lord and then verse 7 This is the prophet to the king. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs. That means that they cut off for the male, they cut off the penis and they transition the male into a female so they can't move forward and have children. And then it says this, and then they will serve the palace of the Babylon's king. In other words, they'll serve other gods. So Hezekiah the king, verse eight, said to Isaiah, this message you've given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. And I thought, what in God's name? Like when I read that, I had to stop and pause. What kind of father would say, hey, your, your kids are going to be taken away? Everything you poured into them, gone. Every hope you've had for them, gone. Every dream you had for them, gone. Everything you wrote in their little baby book that you hoped for them, gone. And by the way, they'll become eunuchs. In other words, they'll do nothing productive. We're in a generation now where men are thinking they can become women. We're already in this generation. We're losing family because of it. We're losing family because of it. A generation, and it says, and they will serve in the palace of Babylon's king means nothing to us. But in that moment, prophesied to that king, it meant that your children won't even know God. You've worked really hard. You've amassed a bunch of stuff, but you're going to lose it all. Every bit of it gone every hope for your children gone My dad said something not long ago we were talking He said the country that I so knew years ago that I fought for Korean War He said I look at it's not even the same country and then he said this and we've lost our country We've not only lost a country we've lost our children we've lost our families We're trading them off for things. And then this is his thinking, well, as long as it's good in my lifetime, meaning there will be an entire generation of people that are working just to have a good life because a good life is what they're selling their soul for, but they're losing their children along the way. They're losing their marriage along the way. They're losing their sanity along the way. And they go, well, it's good. So this plagued me. How could a man say, I really don't care what happens to my future. I just care about now. But let me tell you this. Everybody in this room, how you respond right now in this generation will determine the kind of country and the kind of family and that your children and your grandchildren live in. What you do right now will determine the kind of family that your children will tolerate, that will determine the kind of husband your daughter will marry, that will determine the kind of man or woman that your kids marry, and the kind of life they will live is you. They watch us. So that, I do what I typically do. I went to see what Jesus said. This is what he said in Matthew 16. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And then this was the the crowning moment of where I want to land and start and put us all on the same launching pad. Jesus asked a question, is anything more important than your soul? And so I wrote this down for that moment of what I believe family is to define it. The definition I want to hold on to is family is the legacy of souls. It's a legacy of souls. You're leaving behind children and grandchildren and then they will carry on however they carry on depending on what you have deposited within them. And so when I say this about me and Robin, we're going to stand up here and talk about family. I do again want to say we did not get where we got today by luck or privilege. We got here today because of legacy. I want to teach you what happened real quickly. Player to bless you. Mom and dad, come on up. Give my mom and dad a hand if you will. This is Jean and June Evans. They were married in, come all the way on the other side over here. They were married in 1959. My mother proposed to my dad. (laughs) You can hear her story. When she asked him, what are your expectations of us? And then the next thing I know, they're married. They started out married. My dad was not really raised in church. My mother was a good old fashioned Methodist and they married each other. And my dad was in a business. He was an accountant. He ran his own business and started in business. And then in 1969, uh, something incredible happened in my dad's life. Actually about 1963, before I was ever born, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Before I was ever born, my father fell in love with Jesus Christ. His own testimony was the day he fell in love with God, he came home, he walked to the refrigerator, he poured all his alcohol out because his father was an alcoholic. And he said, I don't need that anymore. And he began to press in to the Lord God. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He's pressing into God. And then lo and behold, moi comes along. And this is what happens when you marry, you do the nasty and you have kids. <laughs> I don't even like to think about that as in my mother and father, but, but uh, they, they had children. They had two. The reason they had two is because this is my brother Gary, if you've never met him. He also is a CPA and accountant, the smart one in the family, and they had him. He was such a great kid, and mother often reminds me of that, that he would sit in his crib for hours and play in his crib all by himself that she thought, let's have a second. And they had me. You can tell my head's bigger, so there's a problem. I didn't sit in cribs. I cried. I wanted to be free, free at last. Thank God Almighty. And so once she raised me, she's like, never again. So we only have two. (laughs) This is me. I often joke about my eye, but you can tell I'm looking at something or I'm either possessed by a demon. I don't know what. (laughs) That's my brother. He's shooting the peace sign. We grew up in the 1970s when life was really good. And I'm looking like I'm smoking something (laughs) I just have that I don't even know why I'm on planet Earth look I don't know who I am but somehow I've turned out half decent and uh, I would like to introduce you now to my wonderful mother-in-law miss Diana This is Diana and Leland. Leland, my father-in-law, is at work today, or he would be here. And this is my precious, precious mother-in-law who has put up with me, tolerated me, and loved me. I'm going to hug you, right? She makes the best chicken fingers. Father, next week, let her make those fingers for Easter. (laughs) You got to get a chicken finger any way you can. Diana's been married 45 years to Leland, and... She came to know the Lord and got to know Father God, and she had a beautiful daughter. Come on up, beautiful daughter Robin. (laughs) And at this moment in life, for those of you that may not know, a legacy is starting to be formed. We don't even know each other yet, but God knows us, and God is working a legacy out, She and I could have never planned out this day as it sits today, when we first met. For those of you that don't know Robin's story, Diana had Robin out of wedlock with a gentleman named Earl, that's Robin's biological father. He tapped out, see you later, never around. She never knew him until several years ago, found out about him and found some of her brothers and sisters through that gentleman. So Robin is raised with no father, no big deal, because mother's not going to let her be a victim because mother is pressing into the Holy Ghost. Mother's not going to let this become a problem because there's something bigger in mother that's brewing than poor pitiful me. Raising a daughter that won't let the daughter pout. She keeps pressing into God. Her story is that she took the daughter all the time to church. She took the daughter everywhere to know God. This broken woman who finally met the Holy Spirit. Brewing over here in me are parents who are dragging me to church every time the door is open. Casting out devils. Reading the Bible to me at night. Life is moving. We don't even know each other. But what's happening is a legacy is being built. And if you don't know the story, once Robin's biological father was out, Diana married a gentleman that adopted Robin. His name was Lamar. And Lamar committed suicide. So now Robin is two fathers short, could have easily become a victim. I don't even know who my father is. I had a father and God must have taken him and now I'm mad at God, but this little child can't go that way. Why? Because the legacy, the legacy won't let her go that way. The legacy keeps pressing into God and keeps pulling the child to God. Wait, no biological father? Yeah, keep coming to God. Your father committed suicide. Your stepfather, keep coming to God. She would not allow her daughter to become a product of the world. So long before we ever met, there's legacy that's happening. God's preparing something. He's preparing a future. He's preparing things we don't even know. And what we have is we have two sets of parents pressing into God that are refusing to allow their children to become products of society and victims of hurt. We don't even know. We're too young to know. We're just born into it. Nobody asks us, but they begin to press into God and she began to press into God. And we're being pulled along by their faith and we're becoming products of a legacy of people that pressed into God. so the two obviously in the annals of heaven met look how cute we are no wonder you married me look at at that haircut I mean that haircut is brilliant that was 16 cents put a bowl on your head and whip it off and don't let your dad take it cause your dad will shave it off he'll just take you to we're going to crow I got it for a quarter well Robin grew up Became a young high school girl with 42,000 cans of hairspray. (laughs) The reason there's climate change today. (laughs) Anybody remember the 80s? Like when I met her, I'm like, man, she's good looking. Look at that hair. Oh, no, this is nine cans of hairspray. She would flip over and do this. (laughs) I would come in like <coughs> <coughs> hair sticking up like that. I'm like, my God, no wonder I'm on an inhaler. <laughs> I, I didn't smoke because I didn't want to smoke. I was afraid she'd blow up. I'm like, Light a match, her hair. <laughs> <laughs> this is before there was LGBTQ. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm not gay but it looks like I missed a good opportunity. This is college. I have braces. This is college. I'm not 12 here. This is college. I have a mullet and and a little scoop of blonde where I would scoop it over with a curling iron. What? You used a curling iron? You better believe it. I guess God was prepping me for the future of living with all women. But ugly men, I'm hope for you. I'm hope that every ugly fella can get a woman. I hear this old boy's hope for you, man. You think I'm just too ugly. No, just go remember Pastor Mark. There's hope. We met each other. We met each other. You You want to tell you where we met each other? We didn't meet each other in the club. We didn't meet each other in some nasty bar somewhere. We didn't meet each other on Tinder. We didn't meet each other on Christian Mingle. You know where we met each other? Both of us chasing God. Because of a legacy of parents that poured into me, son, when you run, you run hard after God. And if you'll run hard after God, he's got every dream and desire waiting on you. With a mother that says, honey, if you will run after God, God will have everything waiting on you. And so I start running after God. She's running after God. And in the weirdest of ways, we both ran to the same location. And we hooked up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I saw how good looking she was and I just went for it. I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to ask her to go out with me. (laughs) Boys, come on, fellas. Wimpy fellas, get over it. My God, if she's good looking, go ask her out. Just, just bowl yourself up. Hey, you want to go out with me? And she's probably going to go, no. And just don't cry. Just walk away. And go, well, you're going to miss out. Because I'm awesome. So I saw her and I went for it. Uh, you know, I got rid of the blonde by then. And um, my teeth get, look nice now. So God was preparing me. Welcome. And so I saw how cute she was. And we went on a date. And then, like any woman, she kissed me. Just smack on the lips. Just I'm like, what you she just kissed me. And I'm like, wow. And it was such a good kiss that I proposed. <laughs> this is our engagement picture. That little swoop there. She's got me using hairspray now. <laughs> the Lion King. Every time we pull this out in our family, the girls will go, oh, Savania! <laughs> <laughs> I kind of missed that look, though. I sort of liked it. It was kind of a built-in airbag. It was really neat. I so loved her. She so loved me. We said yes to each other. But all along, this young boy and this young girl that said yes, were products of legacies. And a product of legacy. And we came together on July the 7th, 1990. And we were both the products, not victims We both bore scars, we both had upbringing. She could have had a million reasons of why I'm so pitiful, broken, victim of the world, victim of life. But because of a legacy of parents that poured into us, we walked to an altar that day and thought, let's keep the legacy going. And so today in this church, there's a legacy. I'd like all my children to come up. Come on up, kids. We're missing a few of them. One's at the beach. Yeah, lucky. And one's at home with a baby. But here's what you need to know. And this little baby right here is little Montgomery. Montgomery's to be born this month. Today. (laughs) She was at the party yesterday going, and I'm going, no, no, not here. Not here, not in my house. But if you can wrap your mind around this. Oh man, this is... A man that says, I'm going to follow God because there's a legacy coming that needs to know God. A woman that says, I'm going to follow God because in the womb of my daughter is the legacy of great-grandparents. And their children and their grandchildren are all lined up in church in the same building that the legacy is because God brought us all together. And maybe the testimony is from brokenness and scars and alcoholic fathers that my dad had to get out of a ditch because his father was an alcoholic to a woman who had to bury her husband that committed suicide to a man that's had all kind of personality quirks to a woman with personalities that come together. Maybe the story today is the way we build family is the legacy has to matter more to you than anything else on the plate. More than your feelings, more than your happiness, more than your, I just want to find myself. No, we're fighting for this generation right here. The reason they stay together, the reason they fight, it's not just to have a good marriage because now we have children and grandchildren and great grandchildren that are going to carry on the name. Of God Almighty because of the legacy that made it. Michael on the end there, who's married to my oldest daughter Olivia, stood on the front porch and he said, I want to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And at that time, he had no beard, so it was scary. (laughs) And his car would hardly start. And oh God, he worked at Pizza Hut. (laughs) There's no hope. He had no college degree. He just loved my daughter. And I remember saying to him, I said, Michael, I have one question for you. I've worked really hard to deposit my daughter at Jesus and to be a priest in her life. I have one question. When all hell breaks loose and when you marry her, will you be a priest to her to always take her to the feet of Jesus? And he said, yes, sir. I said, good. Then you can marry her. And Joey came into the life, and I mean, he's the only Hispanic on the team. (laughs) Right, praise God. Missions. We're all jealous of him because his skin is just like gorgeously brown. We're all like, yeah, we go to Florida. I'm like, Joey, put a shirt on. Come on, man. <laughs> we're all out there like laying out and Joey walks by and go, don't you wish you were me? <laughs> we're all... <laughs> Joey came and said, I-, I want to ask if I can marry Sophia. And I said, well, Joe, I have a question for you. Same question. When all hell breaks loose and my daughter needs Jesus, can you always deposit her at the feet of Jesus? He said, yes, sir, I can. And I said, good, you can marry her then. So the reality of the shepherd, Robin and I, that are leading you, is not because we're lucky. It's not because we're so gifted. It's not because we have certain privileges of the way we were raised, is that we are the product of legacy. Yes. And we wanna leave a legacy, and we wanna shepherd a legacy. Because we believe in everybody that you need to be part of a family. Give them a hand. Thank you so much. You may go. I'm going to ask the praise team if they will come up as we get ready to close. What I would like to say to you today is at the root, this is my belief and where Robin and I are gonna take you, at the root of all marriage and family conflict is the neglect of the soul. Yes, it may play out in a money problem, a communication problem, a personality problem, an in-law, ex, whoever, but we both believe that at the root of everything that's possible, it starts with the condition of your soul and whether or not you wanna root yourself into chasing after God or not as a family. Now, if you didn't chase after God, there's hope. You can start now. If you were raised by a family that didn't even know God, don't worry. There's hope. He's a big God. It's about it's about setting your feet into the concrete and saying, I make a decision today that my life will be a legacy for God. My family will be a legacy for God, my husband and wife. And then what Robin and I want to do, once you decide, I want to live a legacy rather than just living for my happiness, Robin and I want to that plan for you. We want to give you very practical ways of how to be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a parent, how to get over problems and through hard times. We want to teach you how to do that. And I pray we'll do well with it. But here's the thought for today. Is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing with Robin is because we're leaving a legacy to our grandchildren. And not just houses and cars, and we joke about who's going to get the guitars, who's going to get the houses, and we all laugh about it. But the worst thing I could pass to my children are my guitars, cars, and houses. But the best thing I can pass to them is God. It's the best thing I can give them. Now I'm going to help them along the way, help them get cars, help them find homes, I'm going to do my best as a father, but if I've not shown my kids the importance of God first, Jesus first, let's chase him first, I lose sight that I'm working for a legacy. Because anybody can buy my granddaughter a Jesse outfit, but not just anybody can lead her to God. Her mother and father, her aunts, her uncles, and her grandparents and great grandparents lead her to God. And so to me, this is what our family series is going to be. Do you or don't you want to fight for legacy? Do you or don't you? You may have blown it. It's okay. You can start today. I'm going to start fighting for legacy. Stand up with me if you will. This is the thought I want to leave you with. Whether you like it or whether I like it, God is fighting for you. And so is Satan. Both of them want your marriage. Both of them want your children. And both of them want your legacy. We're 2,000 years removed from Jesus because parents knew that it was generational and they taught their kids the ways of God. And we're still here 2000 years removed from Jesus because somebody taught the ways of God to the next generation. That It's where we have to start with family. That is square one. Do you want to build your family rooted in God? Or do you just want to do it your way, the way you were raised, the way your mom and dad did it? Or my God, that was terrible, so I'm going the opposite way. I'm not going to do it like mom and dad. You want to keep living together? Do you want to keep doing it the way you want to do it? How you wish you could do it? Trying to use your own wisdom? You can. You can do it but I'm simply saying to be a successful, whether you look back and you go, there's my grandparents and there's my parents and here's us and there's our children and there's our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and you have a line of people on the stage. The way you get a line of people in your life that are still together is you had to fight for it and you had to stand. I leave you with the thought, are you willing to fight for generational legacy? Bow your head and close your eyes.